Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Job chapter 18. In chapter 16 and 17, we heard Job's reply to Eliphaz. Job accuses his friends of being miserable counselors. They don't have the courage or the creativity or the compassion to really enter into his troubles. They make no real effort to understand. They just apply theological bumper stickers to all of his cuts and bruises and expect Job to be thankful. Well, he's not because none of what they're saying applies to him. They accuse him of speaking out against God, but it is God who has attacked me, Job says. He has come on me like a lion. He has used me for target practice. I'm like a baby seal, and he's like a killer whale, and he is tossing me back and forth like a game, and I don't know why. And none of you seem willing to help me. Therefore, Job says, I want to die. I want to die because I feel like I have a better chance of a fair hearing in the afterlife than I do in the here and now. In fact, Job says, I believe that I have a friend in heaven, one like a son of man who will stand between me and God. So let me die. You can even come with me because that's my only chance of finding comfort and useful friendship. That's where we left off in chapter 17. In chapter 18, we hear from Bildad. This is his second speech, the third in the second round of speeches. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Then Bildad, the Shuhite, answered and said, How long will you hunt for words? Consider, and then we will speak. Why are we counted as cattle? Why are we stupid in your sight? You who tear yourself in your anger, shall the earth be forsaken for you, or the rock be removed out of its place? Contemporary Christians in North America struggle with the heat and vehemence in some of these speeches. Dialogue in our day tends to be pretty bland and at least superficially polite. But this is more like watching a session of British Parliament. Every speech begins with an insult. Job has told his friends to shut up. And now, basically, Bildad tells Job to shut up. You are talking to us like we're a bunch of stupid cattle. You are wreathing about like a man who's been paralyzed by the experience of things you ought to have expected. Had this happened to someone else, you'd be sitting over here with us, bobbing your head up and down and saying the same things we're saying because this is how the world works. But now that the gears of the universe have taken hold of your coattails and begun to drag you into the gears, all of the sudden you question the wisdom of the machine. Bah, hypocrisy and stupidity. Now, again, we find this kind of dialogue a little bit extreme. But then again, we're a very placid and overfed people. 
All real suffering has been hidden from us, and we drift along through life, half intoxicated by television and who knows what else. So maybe it's us that need a bit of an adjustment. Maybe figuring this stuff out is, in fact, the most important thing in the universe. Just a thought. Verse 5. Indeed, the light of the wicked is put out, and the flame of his fire does not shine. The light is dark in his tent, and his lamp above him is put out. His strong steps are shortened, and his own schemes thrown down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walks on its mesh. A trap seizes him by the heel. A snare lays hold of him. A rope is hidden for him in the ground, a trap for him in the path. Here, Bildad is literally speaking in Proverbs. His whole argument is that there will be a bad end for the wicked. They will fall into the trap of their own schemes. They will be caught in their own net. Their own evil will eventually come crashing down upon them. That is classic proverbial wisdom. Proverbs 29.5, for example, says, A man who flatters his neighbors spreads a net for his feet. An evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. Same idea, same terminology even. Proverbs 22.5 says, Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. Again, exact same idea. The world punishes the evildoer. They may start out well and fast, but the world will trip them up. God will slow them down, and eventually they will fall into the pit they have dug for themselves and be no more. That is the worldview that Bildad is working here. Verse 11, terrors frighten him on every side and chase him at his heels. His strength is famished and calamity is ready for his stumbling. It consumes the parts of his skin. The firstborn of death consumes his limbs. He is torn from the tent in which he trusted and is brought to the king of terrors. In his tent dwells that which is none of his. Sulfur is scattered over his habitation. His roots dry up beneath, and his branches wither above. His memory perishes from the earth, and he has no name in the street. He is thrust from light into darkness and driven out of the world. He has no posterity or progeny among his people and no survivor where he used to live. They of the West are appalled at his day, and horror seizes them of the East. Surely, Such are the dwellings of the unrighteous. Such is the place of him who knows not God. In sum, Bildad says there is a bad end in store for bad people. The bad man, the wicked man, will lose his strength. He will forfeit his wealth. He will die alone and no one will remember him, except perhaps to shudder at the example of his folly. That's what Bildad says. And the implication, of course, is that this is what is happening to Job. His evil has finally caught up with him. 
better repent quick before you sink into the quicksand of your own sin and stupid. Now, what do we do with a speech like that? Do we, do we just cross it out of our Bibles? Do we just take a big black highlighter and, and, and remove it entirely? Right? Do we just decide together that everything Bildad says here is garbage, so we'll just ignore the whole thing? Well, I don't think so. Remember, almost everything he says is lifted wholesale from the book of Proverbs. So slow down and let's think this through. Let, let me remind you again of Calvin's key for interpreting this book of wisdom. We haven't quoted this for a few episodes now, so let's go back and remember it. Calvin says, In the whole dispute, Job maintains a good case, and his adversary maintains a poor one. Now there is more, that Job, maintaining a good case, pleads it poorly, and the others, bringing a poor case, plead it well. When we shall have understood this, it will be to us, as it were, a key to open to us the whole book. Quote. So Job is right, ultimately, but messy, loud, and meandering. His friends are wrong, but most of what they say and most of what they marshal by way of evidence is actually correct and helpful and profitable. Harold Decker unpacks this for us by saying, the poor case of his friends is that affliction is divine punishment, meted out according to the measure of men's sins. They plead it well by making statements about God and man, which are altogether true and valid, and which must be accepted as being in themselves the pure teaching of the Holy Spirit. Closed quote. Hear that. The things the friends say are true and valid and must be accepted as being in themselves the pure teaching of the Holy Spirit. So we can't just delete this whole speech because it doesn't actually apply to Job. We still have to think about what it says that is actually true, inspired, and useful. Let me come at this from a different angle. Francis Anderson says something very helpful in his commentary. He says, the Lord and the Satan discuss Job's character. Job and his friends discuss the Lord's character. Are you hearing that? In in chapters 1 to 2, there is a dialogue between God and the accuser. That's why Anderson calls him the Satan. So there's a dialogue between God and the Satan that is really about who Job is as a man. Satan says that Job is a mercenary. He only serves God because of what he can get out of it. God says, no, 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 that's not the case. Job serves me because he loves me and believes that my ways are right. Okay, well then, let's have a little test. Let's remove all the benefits and see how Job responds. That's the conversation in chapters 1 to 2. Who is Job? What kind of man is he? But then after that, the devil disappears. He's gone. That conversation is over. And a new conversation begins. This one between the friends and Job is about who God is. And Calvin says, no one's saying the whole truth. The friends are saying some true stuff that ultimately doesn't stick. Job has got the right answer, but can't figure out how he got there. And the point is that we, the reader have to piece it all together. We have to ask, 
what did Bildad say here that is true? And, and what do we need to add to that to make it ultimately true, right? How can we, on the other side of the cross in the empty tomb, filled with the Holy Spirit, shine some additional light on these shadowy statements, suggestions, and suppositions? That's our task as the reader. Bildad here is saying that the wicked come to a terrible end. Now, is that true? Well, the answer to that, of course, is yes, it is true. But because God is working his redemptive purposes in this presently fallen world, there are some twists, turns, and delays before that truth takes ultimate and final effect. Currently, therefore, sometimes the wicked appear to prosper. They appear to do very well. Sometimes believers are afflicted. They fall under the power of the enemy. They suffer the consequences of the curse. That happens now, but still, Bildad is right. There is a terrible end for the wicked. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 40 to 43, just as weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So the end, Jesus says, is just like Brother Bildad said. The wicked are finally thwarted. They are wiped entirely off the board. They do suffer a terrible fate, and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom forever. That is true, but it isn't true immediately. That is what Bildad is missing. He doesn't see the redemptive purpose of God, and he doesn't see the incredible patience of God. But let's not be too hard on him. People were still wrestling with this in the New Testament. Peter had to explain this to his people in the New Testament. He said, 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So justice is long in coming. But not because God is uncaring or mean-spirited. No, just the opposite, actually, Peter says. Justice is slow in coming because God is patient and doesn't wish for anyone to perish. Therefore, he is playing a very long game. From Bildad's perspective, there were still so many things that had to happen. Jesus had to come and do for us what we could never do for ourselves, and he had to pay for what we had done in his body on the cross. He had to rise from the dead, ascend to the Father, and there he would, just like Job hoped, plead for us as a man might plead for his neighbor. He had to send down the Holy Spirit and send forth the Holy Gospel. He had to draw in the nations and bring to himself people from every tribe, tongue, and nation on planet Earth. But then, once all of that is completed, Peter said, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. 
2 Peter 3.10. It will all happen, just like Brother Bildad said. The wicked will sink into the pit, and the memory of them will be wiped off the earth, and the righteous will be restored and renewed, and they will shine in the kingdom of their Father forever. So the friends weren't wrong. There was just so much going on they couldn't see. Things that we can see now because of Jesus, because of his spirit, and because of his saving and transforming word to us. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 